Hello, and welcome to the Campaign Podcast, where we talk about everything advertising, marketing, media, and mother. Not every week, of course, but fans of the independent agency are in for a treat today. Later in the episode, our UK editor, Maisie McCabe, will be delving into her recent feature on Mother's 25th anniversary. And we're also going to be discussing one of their latest ads for long-standing client, IKEA. I'm Simon Gwynn, Campaign's Technology and Gaming Editor, and today I'm joined by one of my fabulous colleagues. We just can't keep him away. It's Media Editor Arvind Hickman. Arvind, I think after last week's show, the question on everyone's lips is surely, have you seen that Don Bond film yet? You know what, Simon? Um, I haven't had a chance to see it yet. It's almost three hours long. But I'll tell you what, I did get to see a fantastic film yesterday, thanks to Catherine Jacob from Pearl and Dean. Uh, I saw The French Dispatch, which is the new Wes Anderson film, and um, I absolutely loved it. It was, it was incredible. I've heard some great things about that, yeah. Looking forward to seeing that one myself, and I'm sure you can you can find those uh, three hours to catch up on uh, on Bond at some point. So, in no time at all, we're going to be getting on to some of the uh, week's biggest ads. But first of all, we're going to talk about a big story that touches on pretty much everything that obsesses us here at Campaign. Major product launches, huge ad campaigns, the rise of subscription services, innovative agency models, and the future of the medium that once more or less defined advertising, but now very much battles for supremacy with impudent upstarts like uh, search engines and social media. I'm talking, of course, about TV. And in case you missed it, the story is the launch of Sky Glass, or or Sky Glass for you uh, southern types, Um, the new all-in-one streaming TV set from the Comcast-owned broadcaster, which aims to bring all of our many and varied TV viewing options into one handy user interface with no need for a satellite dish. Other brands uh, often seem to spend half their time trying to think outside the box, but Sky has really been busy thinking entirely within one box. Uh, now, there's lots of um, interesting stuff to talk about uh, with this launch. So, Armin, I'm going to go over to you. Um, what are the first things that jump out? Uh, yes, Simon, look, it's a very significant play on several levels. Uh, firstly, they are banking on the convenience equation that consumers will pay to have all of these apps in one easy-to-use interface. All of these set-top boxes can be thrown into the bin. There's one TV set. That's all you need to get everything in one nice, convenient place. I think it also helps them move on from the scourge of the satellite dish. Um, you know, it's something that obviously Sky is synonymous with, but it'll be very interesting to see who actually removes these dishes uh, or whether they remain a part of the British streetscape. The second important aspect of this is that they're adding features like voice activation and built-in video chat. And what I'll be really interested to see um, as this sort of evolves is how much data they could get from viewers that they can then use to better curate the viewer journey as well as sell addressable advertising. Uh, Now, it's important to note, Simon, that Amazon has also released its own TV sets with similar voice activation functionality and all of those sorts of bells and whistles. But what's really interesting about Sky's moves is that it's a broadcaster doing it. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how Sky harnesses data, whether they do harness data or not. I'm not sure if that's their plan, but it could unlock so much power in terms of how they target advertising uh, to their viewers in the future. Yeah, loads of interesting product features there. And I think um, another interesting thing is the fact that they're making this available uh, as a kind of subscription service, similar to how you'd pay for a new um, for a smartphone on a on a contract. And in terms of what you're saying about data there, uh, Sky's been uh, really leading the way in a lot of respects with um, uh, allowing TV advertising to take advantage of the same kind of technology that uh, online display advertising and uh, other um, digitally-led uh, channels have been using for, for years. Um, so lots of really interesting opportunities there. There's also a huge ad campaign planned. Um, 
And um, so the the first ad from that is out now. There's not much to that, really. It's just about introducing the product uh, to consumers. And they've said that, you know, they need people to understand that Sky is now making TVs for the first time, which is is pretty sensible because uh, there's a bit of potential for confusion. Another interesting thing is that the agency model they're using here. So um, they've created a new uh, agency hub that's going to bring together their in-house resources from Sky Creative, along with various other agencies that they work with, um, including AKQA, and Venture 3. Um, Arvin, from what you've seen uh, since you joined Campaign a a couple of months ago, do you think this is kind of the future of the way that brands are going to be working with agencies? It's it's a really interesting question, mate, and and I honestly don't have the answer answer to that one. I think the models keep changing all the time, don't they? Um, Yeah, well, I mean, what's your view on it? What's your take on on the whole agency thing? I I think we've certainly seen some other examples of this. Um, There's a number of big brands who've launched um, in-house operations in in the last year or so. And in most cases, it's not about replacing uh, existing agencies, which I think most marketers kind of recognize bring a lot of value, expertise, and a particular way of doing things that they can't necessarily replicate within their own companies. M&S, for example, launched uh, an in-house agency. Agency might not even be the right word uh, for that, but earlier this year. Um, And the idea is it would allow them to work on a more kind of casual basis, I suppose, with lots of different uh, partners, but they're still going to be going out to the market, still going to be getting in that expertise, but everything's going to be very much led from within. Sky seemed to be doing something similar in some respects here. Lloyd's TSB also opened their own um, in-house operation, but that's taken care of very particular things. I think the way that brands and agencies, uh, the relationship that they have with each other is seems to be uh, changing more rapidly now than in, in any time that I've been working at, uh, at Campaign. Um, and the challenge for agencies is probably to make sure that they don't end up being uh, shortchanged and that they are actually selling their um, expertise uh, for you know an appropriate price. It's really interesting that you mentioned the whole sales thing, um, Simon, because recently we had Tim Pearson, who was leading Sky Media, their sales arm. He's he's left the business, and um, I, I've heard speculation that you know they may Comcast may decide to bring um, Sky Media's sales team uh, and, and sort of merge it with what what they have at NBC Universal. There seems to be a lot of question marks over the future direction of how they're going to sell to market. In the future, and it's it's interesting that they're sort of bringing creative in house as well a little bit more. So I think it's going to be a really interesting and fascinating company to monitor how it sort of evolves and, and takes shape in the future. Definitely, and I think as I said, there's going to be a number of uh, additional ads coming out over the next few months as part of this campaign um, and I'm sure we'll be uh, discussing some of those on the right here on the campaign podcast. Speaking of which, let's talk about some of this week's ads. First up, as promised, it's the new ad for IKEA from Mother. Every home should be a haven. Arvin, what did you think of this one? I'm not entirely sure about this one, uh, to be honest with you, Simon. I mean, it's a fun ad to watch, and, and those, but those bears do look really sort of scary. I'm not exactly sure that that's my idea of a haven, having these large, muscly bears running around your home, attacking foxes, welcoming you back indoors. I mean, maybe it's timed for Halloween for a reason. Um, I don't know, but I guess the problem with IKEA, it's my personal perspective, 
They've done so much brilliant, creative, award-winning work in the past. You always expect their benchmark to be very high. And while I thought this was a funny ad to watch, and I'm sure a lot of people will, will find it quite amusing, it just didn't quite hit the mark for me in terms of what I expect from an Ikea ad. I think you possibly make a fair point. They've done some such stellar work over the years. You know, every single year over the last five years, there's, there's been at least one standout um, ad. Uh, they're always brilliantly creative, and, and this is so visual as ever. And uh, just in case people haven't watched it yet and don't know what we're talking about, it's got these kind of life-size teddy bears who are buff as hell um, and are kind of the henchmen or bodyguards of, of this um, family. And it's a nice visual device, but yeah, it's maybe not quite as immediate as... Um, as some of the other ideas they've um, they've come up with in the past, but uh, certainly I think you have to you have do have to put it in the context of the um, exceptionally high standard that Mother have always delivered for for IKEA. That's right. So next up, it's a new ad for John Lewis and Partners uh, from Adam and Eve DDB. Uh, now this is for the retailer's insurance brand. It harks back to one that uh, many of our listeners will be familiar with from 2015. This is called Let Life Happen. So, uh, Arvind, are you a Stevie Nicks fan? Uh, actually, no, I'm not. Um, and I hate to say this, I don't even know who that is. <laughs> I'm probably showing my Aussie Aussiness here a bit. Stevie Nicks was in a little-known band called um, Fleetwood Mac. Oh, okay. Okay, well, I know, I know Fleet... Okay, yeah, okay, I'm with you. I know Fleetwood Mac. I just don't know the individual names of the band members. Sorry. Back, back in the olden times. Um, but this is... Uh, this ad is um, soundtracked by one of her solo hits. I've got to be honest, I'm not uh, massively familiar with the song. But um, do you remember the, the, the previous John Lewis insurance ad, Tiny Dancer? Uh, no, I don't, actually. Uh, would you like to sort of recall my memory? Yes, of course. So um, uh, I'm not sure if you were um, maybe in, in Australia at, uh, at the point that that came out. I mean, the, the short version of it is that it was exactly the same as this one. Uh, it was a, a girl in, in this case. Um, and the, the song in question was, um, of course, Tiny Dancer by Elton John. I believe it won uh, multiple Can Lions and, and various other awards. And it was a very charming uh, ad. And what they seem to have done here is basically acknowledge that sometimes if you've got a good thing it's worth using that idea again and I think that's now and again something that should be celebrated personally. Yeah I mean I, I'm not familiar with the original one um, which is my bad but I have to say I, I really did enjoy this ad I think Adam and Eve did a fantastic job uh, I mean creatively maybe it's not as as original as, as what I thought when I first saw it yeah so so the the spot is directed by Tom Kuntz through um, MJZ. Uh, it's really beautifully produced um, and, and I have to say very beautifully performed. Uh, it sort of like brings out every parent's worst nightmare. You know, you've got this young boy wearing his mum's clothes, covered in paint, throwing around glitter and paint, going in a bit of a rampage, dancing, destroying shit and causing bright coloured damage all across the family home. So I thought, you know, visually I, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was quite charming and I did kind of like, you know, the let life happen sort of slogan at the end. So look, I, I quite enjoyed this one. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm totally with you there. And I think, uh, I mean, maybe I was um, actually underselling this a, a little uh, when I was saying that they'd essentially uh, replicated a previous idea because it, it is visually different. Um, uh, it's a different character. He's got his own charm. Um, whoever the, the younger act- actor is, is, is terrifically chosen. And it's definitely a, a thoroughly polished and, and uh, engaging piece of work. The kind of thing we, uh, you know, we expect from uh, Adam and Eve on, on that particular client. So, uh, that's the meat and potatoes of today's discussion over and done with. And the rest is gravy. Bisto, to be precise, which is back for its first new TV ad in six years. This one's from McCann London and it's called Sticking Together. 
Arvind, were you moved? Look, can I ask you a question? You can. I absolutely love the song. Do you know who sings it? I, I don't actually. I'm not going to sing it um, for the benefit of our um, of our listeners' ears, but it's a really catchy tune to accompany, you know, lifelong servings of gravy. I thought the ad was really cute. It tries to pull on the heartstrings by, you know, watching these two girls sharing so many special moments over a boat of Grand Bisto and and Yorkshire puds. You know, I would have liked to have seen more nice-to-meet-you puns thrown in for extra flavour and maybe a bit of cheese, but, you know, we have to appreciate that cheese sauce is probably a rival of Bisto gravy. Um, look, what can you do with a gravy yet? It, it, it's such a different, difficult category, isn't it? So, actually, you know, I, I thought it was quite enjoyable. Is it going to make me want to buy Bisto? Um, probably not, but the Bisto has its place in, in my cupboard, like it probably does in, in most households. Yeah, definitely with you there. Um it's a, it's a pretty simple story, this, isn't it? But uh, I have to say, it did it did tug at my heartstrings. Um, I think uh, it's a great piece from McCann, who who work on a number of brands for Premier Foods, which is the owner of Bisto. They did a, a fab ad a few years ago for Mister Kipling, uh, which features this this young rapscallion stealing a, a cake he's not entitled to. Um, but then it turns out that it's so that he can give it to his uh, sister, who sat in her bedroom feeling miserable. And I think there's a, there's a similar vibe to this one. That ad was a huge success. I interviewed their um, CMO. Um, a year or two ago I think and uh, he said that it continued to perform well year after year so that they were keeping it on air long after most ad campaigns would um, would continue to be shown I wouldn't be surprised if this Bisto one turns out to, to perform pretty well for this brand as well and you know maybe we're still watching those same two characters uh, slurping their gravy in, in a few years time well let, let's hope so and I have to say three three de- decent choices this week for ads like I thought all three um, had, had their merit so yeah well, well done on, on choosing them Simon I aim to please Arvind <laughs> so thank you uh, Arvind uh, for sharing your thoughts on those um, now I'm going to hand over to Maisie to dive into her feature on Mother I'm really pleased to welcome Ben Middleton, the CCO and founder at Creature London, and Ben Mooge, the CCO at Publicis Group, to pick on a few themes that we talked about in the magazine um, last month. So you both spoke to me um, about your experience at Mother. I know um, Ben Mooge, um, you started there in 97, were there till... It's a long time ago. <laughs> started there as a runner, I think, sat in, yeah. the, in the kitchen with the, the sort of finance and legal team um, in a, a flat in Soho and obviously left um, Mother to join Work Club in 2007. And Ben Middleton, you started as a placement who kind of refused to leave until you got a job. We were very determined, very determined, yeah. <laughs> and that was sort of 2003 and left in 2011 to obviously found Creature, where you're still the CCO. So I guess the premise of the piece was to look at why so many creative leaders previously in London previously worked at Mother and whether there was something sort of special about the agency. There was obviously undoubtedly something special about the agency, but I think it was the the type of creatives and, and strategic creatives that Mark and Robert were is the reason why they bred a load of strategic creatives. Just for anyone listening, so Robert Savile and Mark Waits, the kind of partners at Mother, Robert being the kind of initial kind of founder of the business. And they were entrepreneurs, and I think entrepreneurs also breed entrepreneurs. You know, I said to you, I think they taught us too well almost, and I think that's that's really true. And Robert is like, is the most 
invisible famous man in advertising, I think, actually. Like, if you think how visible other people are, you know, the Hegarty's of the world or Trotz or whatever, Robert is, you know, loves his anonymity, but is loud through loads of other people, I think. Quietly going about changing the world, isn't he? Yeah. I, I think, just to build on that, I think one of the things that a lot of people sort of say about Bob is that, you know, he, he's the best at all of those different disciplines. And I, and I think what sort of sits underneath that as a, as a sort of personality trait is, is a hunger for excellence and a hunger for sort of achievement and having impact, I guess. And I, I think the one thing um, that I think everybody has in common that sort of came through Mother in that period was everyone was sort of ferociously ambitious. Um, everyone sort of wanted to make the greatest work they could. Um and, and would sort of go about any means to do that, be that sort of done in a camp person's hat, strategy hat, or a creative hat. When Stu and I joined their own placement, it was absolutely terrifying as, a, as an environment to sort of walk into because the talent across the board at every level was was off the charts. Like it was, it was an incredibly inspiring and difficult place to sort of slot into because the culture and the energy of the environment was, was so um, tangible. But, you know... But that's actually a great thing. If you're hungry to learn, if you're hungry to sort of thrive, then the best thing you can have is like a huge amount of challenge, which is certainly what, what Stu and I encountered when we first joined um, a mother. Also, also, it has to be said, Robert and Mark are lovely, lovely, lovely people and really human and they're fucking funny. And so actually, yeah, there was a real hunger, but there was a real humility and, you know, the, the joke was always the most important thing and nobody ever got above their station. And and I think it bred a load of really lovely people off the back of it. And we, you know, whenever we bump into each other at awards dues or, you know, pre-COVID can and all of that stuff, it's everybody assumes their positions and it's, and it's you know, it's just like the, the gang that it was at the time, I think. I, t- I think that's totally right. It's worth, it's worth also saying, I, yeah, I don't want to paint a picture that Robert and Mark didn't engender a, a, a culture of charm as well. Like the, you know, to, to, to Ben's point around comedy, I mean, there's, there's weirdly nothing more depressing than sitting in a uh, creative review with Mark Waits just because of how naturally and easily comedy comes to that man. Like, my, my God, we um, got a real hard schooling in that, in, in learning just how unfunny Stu and I were, particularly in our sort of first sort of six months. Mark... Mark. Sorry, I was going to say, in those reviews, Mark Mark never laughs. Mark never laughs. It's important to say it. He just goes, funny, 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 laughing. and that, and that but, but it doesn't actually laugh. <laughs> it's like that. He just uses a science. So, you know, that's funny. I will be laughing at that. Because that's, that's a good point, though, in terms of the, you mentioned the creative reviews. Obviously, with Mother, they were kind of open affairs where everyone kind of had to pitch their ideas and everyone got an opportunity potentially to kind of feed back on them. I know you were both pretty, you know, junior when you joined, so you didn't know how different it was. But do you think that kind of environment makes for better work or, um, you know, it's it's something that you've continued in your, like, subsequent career? Yeah, I think um, um, Benny will tell the story of, you know, that I can't believe it's not butter review that you did that was your first experience. But it definitely, definitely makes makes you aware of where the bar is and where you have to get to. And actually, when you go when, you know, everybody did have their own individual styles as a starting point, but having a bit of like, you know, Colbush over there or the art direction of Luke, it can't help but be this minestrone that makes it 
I think I think just to echo that, yeah, like Stu and I's sort of first experience of this was working on I can't believe it's not butter and mother just before we joined they just made all the work with sort of um David Blaine footage which was sort of replacing um the sort of magic trick with with sort of revealing that he was talking about butter and having people shocked it's brilliant sort of quick turnaround sort of lo-fi work that obviously was mother was incredibly good at at that time but we uh obviously we got that brief and we were like hugely excited by it because we we're like, I'm bloody hell, you know, this is, this is like, you know, one of the good ones, you know, there's lots of good brands at Mother at that point, but it was like, all oh, right, we get to sort of get our teeth into that. We sort of stroll into a review with um, Dave Colbers, um, Daz and Al, Darren Bales and, and Al, Al uh, McCoosh um, and Juan Cabral. I, I don't know if any of you have heard of any of them, but they, they, um, they've all done all right. So we started the beginning of the review and Stu and I went first and we kind of went, right, this is, you know, we, we'll go first, you know, cocksure cock um, as we were. <laughs> and uh, the first idea, we sort of turned up with this idea, which was essentially a set of posters that were sort of people being um, totally astonished by the product. And in doing so, not being able to notice the fact that there was chaos reigning around them. They were so engrossed in the product that they um, that they they couldn't believe it wasn't butter. They just can't believe it's not butter. Yeah. They couldn't believe it's not butter. So they couldn't, you know, they couldn't see the monster that was sort of tearing through the classroom eating children behind them or, you know, the asteroid heading for Earth. And I remember everyone sort of very politely sitting and sort of smiling and nodding as Stu and I sort of uh, sort of dazzled everyone with our gold. Um we've absolutely smashed it. And then and then uh, Steph uh, Calcraft, who's one of the most incredible energies I've ever had the privilege of working around, very, very politely um, disavowed us of our confidence uh, by explaining how we've done advertising 101 of kind of going, you know, lads, you've only you've just done sort of uh, 101 advertising of our products more amazing than than the next. So we sort of sat there going, well, you know, well, we'll see, won't we, you know, in our heads. And then, lo and behold, we then hit with Dave Colbaz coming in with a, a, a campaign that was all about a detective with a really short-term memory, so he couldn't remember anything. And he was always eating, I can't believe it's not butter, and having to be reminded that that's what it was. It was, it was such a funny idea. And, and Juan sort of turning up with this idea, which was, I can't believe it's not planet Earth. And it was a sort of an alternate universe where there was another planet where Michael Jackson looked like a traffic cone or something. It was insane. Um, and a dozen hour, I think, had a thing about a talking animal. <laughs> but, it was, but it was, it was, I remember Stu and I going, oh shit. Okay. Yeah, we need to we need to be much better than this. But that open nature, you know, that's that's great. There's nothing there's nothing more exposing of your abilities, right, than sitting and having like a live audience of brilliant, brilliant peers to sort of demonstrate, you know, the level that you're operating at. And I, I think that Robert and Mark, I think that that environment and that way of doing reviews is something we've taken into Creature. We think that, you know, bringing teams to sort of present their work to their peer group, which are quite often the harshest critics, I think is a, a really, really sort of, good test of whether or not you believe in your idea and whether or not you thought it through you know they were great those those reviews anyway like on those the big round so because you had to take that idea hone it and then go and present it yourself and you know to have a live audience that's that tough of that many good people that you're all sort of professionally jealous of anyway like it, it was you know it was good training but it was also it was like you know like like training for football or something it was it was good fun I'd, I'd also say the other thing that was i remember learning very quickly there was just bob and mark's ability to sort of make sense of what was sometimes g- bits of gibberish that had fallen out of your head that you were trying to make an idea the number of times where we sat in reviews where 
you know, not, you know, because not everyone nails it all the time. You know, we're all human. Um, the number of times where people would come into reviews and I can obviously realize how difficult this is, like having been doing Creature for 10 years now. Um, people would, there'd be scraps of ideas flying around and it would, you know, everyone would turn up with great stuff, but it didn't always make sense. So it didn't always, you know, answer the brief. Robert and Mark's ability to sort of shape that into stuff that made the work that Mother produced is like, I, I just think that that's a, a thing that people don't talk about enough. Like that's so, I mean, any creative director that hears this will know that. Like it's such a difficult skill. Um, they made it look utterly effortless. Did they sort of pick out bits from Mother and join them up together or was it about? Yeah, or they give you a really good starter and go, I think the answer's somewhere over here. And then, you know, give it to give it to the guys to see see where we could take it. I remember the the pot noodle pitch we did that was exactly like that, where we figured that pot noodle the, the, the client had the wanted it to be about fuel and energy and you know it's better than a potato on the side of your plate and all of this stuff. Um and we figured out that well, I think Robert noticed that it was May. The factory was in the place where they, they used to be coal mines in Wales. And he said, maybe there's something in that. There's a fuel, fuel thing. And so, you know, and then we, I took that with Potsy and Jexy and we've, we realized that actually the factory was completely staffed by a load of ex miners because they closed all the mines down. And, you know, and that's what happens in, you know, in those towns that you go into the, the, the next industry, which happened to be, you know, golden wonder <laughs> and, and making pot noodles. So, so Al, that that's a that's a good Robert esque instinct to go. I think there's something over there. Go hunt in those hills. That's such a good. I love oh, that work. I'm so jealous of that work when you guys make that. But that that that's such a good example there. But where I think I think mother's at its strongest. To be honest, is that there's there's always a sort of log, there is a line of logic between sort of what the what the client is trying to do and then the huge sort of creative leap that's come off the back of that to, to sort of solve that problem like I, th- I think it's so often with mother i think that it can feel like there's a re- it's irreverent for the sake of it and it it, ne- it never is like there's always there's always a logic back to it and i think you see that every time people try and go wacky 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 with their work it's like it the reason that it's wacky and not great is because the the logic is not there that ties it back to the, the the problem that we're trying to solve for the client and how important was then the next step which was presenting your work to marketers directly because if you you know if you managed to get it bought by this kind of group of ambitious and brilliant peers you then had to try and sell it in yourself which was quite a fresh idea at the time it, it what i mean i a lot of us it was our first job. So it was my first job in 97, you know, coming straight from college and luckily stumbling into this startup that then happened to turn out to be mother. Um, and so we, I never questioned it. I never knew what happened in other agencies. So it was always, yeah, and then you would get people, I remember Jim Thornton coming in and saying, you know how, you know how different this is here, you know, and, and there'd be people that sort of like crawled away from various dysfunctional agencies and reached the, and had the time of their lives because they've reached this sort of hallowed, hallowed turf and, and we knew no different. And, w- and when you go to present those things, again, your barometer is, is Robert and Mark and they're smart and articulate and talk to marketers on the human level. And there are, there are tricks always. Um, I remember when we, when we did the Monkey and Johnny Vegas initially for ITV Digital, and we we presented it 
I went in to present it with Mark and Robert and Jim, and we had to go to the very senior people in ITV. And, and Robert always looks smart anyway, in a sort of, in a, you know, dapper, like London heritage always, always makes him want to look smart. And, um, but he turned to me and said, if you're going to sell a puppet monkey, always wear a suit. And that stuck with me forever. And that, the, the puppet monkey became just like a metaphor for, you know, anything idiotic. I'm sensible, trust me, believe me. Meantime, have you seen this monkey over here? <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. I think, I think the other thing is that, uh, to, just to echo Ben again, like Stu and I, we only knew Mother. So I should mention Stu's Ben's Ben Middleton's co-founder at Creature, Stu Althwaite Noel. My, my work wife of 20-odd years now, um, who's currently on paternity leave. He, um, uh, yeah, Stu and I didn't know any different. And um, But what I will say is, uh, which again sort of suited the, the sort of ambition and hunger that, that I think certainly Stu and I had was um, if you got it past, you know, your peer group to get into a sort of client meeting, you were like, well, I've, I've sort of, I've done the hard one, you know, because the, the next group of people, they want to hear something good. <laughs> they're, 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 they want, they want the work to be, you know, as good as you do. So you'd sort of go into those meetings feeling, you know, 10 foot tall because because you knew that you you knew you had something good because you know bob and mark or, or certainly your peers had told you that you had something that was that was worthwhile so that was that was definitely that was that definitely helped you both kind of touched on the entrepreneurial kind of angle i suppose i'd just be interested to know why you both chose to found agencies rather than say take a, a senior role at an existing one when you left mother Actually, and we talked a lot about this from both our different paths. Like, um, for me, for me, it was, it was inevitable because of, because of just the way they were and they trained you. I think there was a couple of things, actually. Um, I think personally, having got there when there was 10 people and when I left, there was a hundred people and they were in Buenos Aires and New York and all of that stuff. It was, it was fascinating and it was, I was, you know, it was incredibly privileged to be, in a watch a company go from an idea into a you know multi-continent reality and you know and maybe I was cocky enough to think that oh I can see what they did there or what they you know there were some tricks to follow and very clear guidelines that I lived and so for me that was it was a no-brain also it just seemed like loads of fun um and then the other thing is I think personally the business side of it was as creative as the creative side of it. So not like the, you know, we watched Poke get founded in the basement. They had a, they, you know, there was the naked partnership at the start. There was, there was loads and loads of these companies that they aligned with and, and gave a start to. And then also in, in Clarkie, in Matt Clark, the finance director, you know, he was the most fun, interesting, you know, creative accountant in a dodgy way. In a non-dodgy way. No, he's, he's, he's from, he's from Essex. <laughs> um, so actually the mystique of it, it felt very doable because you'd seen people do it, people like you do it, and, you know, and it just felt like lots of people in a room making smart decisions. And why couldn't that be you? Stu and I had always sort of talked about wanting to run a place one day. And, and to echo Ben, sort of joining Mother, particularly through the, the, the period we were there. Like we watched an agency showing what it can do. Like, it, you know, it, the, the, like Ben said, the, the pace that it grew at um, was, was phenomenal. And the, the, the seeming ease with which 
um, business used to walk in through the door was 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 addictive. Sounds sounds obvious, but like the fun aspect of it is so true. Like it's like the the, the guys running Mother through that period were clearly really really enjoying themselves, and I I think that that sort of manifested itself as a sort of swagger and a, and a cheekiness and a mischief and a, and a and a sort of confidence that imbued all of us. Um, so I, I think it was it was. I think you either come into the industry with, with an eye on doing that stuff or, or, or you don't, to be perfectly honest. And I, I think sitting in Mother through those years, it was like, oh, this is, this is something that can happen. You know, it's, um, it's possible. How, how important do you think kind of Mother's extracurricular projects, for want of another phrase? Obviously, they put lots of money and invested in the Christmas cards and the new business boxes and things. To a degree, Mother was an extracurricular project. Like the whole agency was an extracurricular. In a, they were, Robert would always say, like, you know, if you're going to be brave with other people's work, you have to be brave with your own work first and your own identity. So whenever we were pitching something interesting or, you know, telling a client to do something brave and different, we'd point to our own, our own brand and go, you know, that's the most important thing to us. And that brand is, is so important. And also, I think there was a, at the time, at the, when they found it, there was nobody else was called, you know, a a word like mother. It was always founders' names and all of that stuff. And Waitsy had worked in in New York for five years, and I remember him and Libby, who's the other creative founder, wanted to market themselves like a New York record label. That's where the idea of like the flyer came out and just send interesting things. You know, the first job I had to do was to they said they had this flyer called the Emergency Underpants which was a uh, vacuum-packed sealed pair of white boxer shorts for when things got tricky and you found yourself in a business, you know, whatever the shit joke <laughs> literally. And, um, and so my first trip was to go to, like, I think it must have been right around the back of Brick Lane or Allgate and do deals with these wholesalers, like these Asian wholesalers, to find I've got need to get best price for these... 1,000 white boxer shorts that we need to send up and then stitch the word mother in the background of it. And I think I did that before before I wrote an ad. I was already sewing, like, sewing labels in it. You literally sewed mother into the... Well, I didn't sew, but I, I got the pants. And I got the pants. And I did, I did, um, I did uh, do the, the sawing of the model of the football hooligan. That was, that was a one through the night where well, it was a production line and we all just stood there and took off a little bit of plastic to make it all rounded and fit in the box and everything. I don't I don't think there was any worse feeling to be honest than than Waitsy coming over and tapping you on the shoulder at around sort of October because you knew you knew what that was and what it was was him him dumping 65 tons of pressure on your shoulders by going you got any uh got any ideas for the christmas mailer you'd be like oh fuck no and now now you've asked us yeah. we have to now do that um and the, the, like 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 ben sort of alluded to like the, the quality of those things was really good it's fascinating to be honest because like in the in the in the world since you know that that's i think i feel like mother kind of saturated that that idea and um, they sort of did so many great things that it sort of makes it very hard for other agencies to do that anymore because i think you're always compared to all the brilliant stuff that that we all got to make as part of that um that terrifying brief what's your favorite one is it the comic yeah well that comic thing that's a really good example the the time out four feet from a rat thing the four feet from a rat thing to ben's point before about about being commercially creative 
that that wasn't a mailer. That was a that was a contra deal done with timeout. That was basically agreeing to get paid. As I understand it, it was mother agreeing to get paid in pages versus getting paid in fee. So we made some posters for timeout working with Anthony Burrell that were about being a tourist in your own city, and they were like nice sort of simple posters that were helping people explore and get the most out of London. But the contra deal was kind of going, well, we'll get a bunch of pages in timeout that we can do what we want with. And, and obviously, you know, Stu and I had a chat with Ben and, you know, the idea of four feet from a rat came out of that. And then, I mean, that's some of the, some of the most fun I've had in my career, to be honest, was sort of wandering around Shoreditch, trying to think of like weird and wonderful ideas that we could turn into sort of outlines for stories that we could then give to these wonderful uh, graphic artists at Mantor, the publishing company we work with. I'm trying to remember what it was called. The, um, what was it? Not the bus conductor, the, um, the evil, the, uh, Oh, the root master. That's right. It was the root master. We were like, oh, the root master is like this evil bloke who injects like the bus driver zombies with roots. So like if you ever got to like one of the bus garages, you'd see this sort of like end of level boss, you know, that controlled everyone. And oh, it was such fun writing that stuff. My my one was definitely the Joseph and Mary Christmas card because that was the most terrifying night shoot I think I've ever done. That was <laughs> me and Waitsy. Um, and it was basically, again, it was sort of before, you know, that you just put that on Instagram or, or YouTube now, but it, that, it was even before that. But we had, it was Christmas, and it was the run-up to Christmas, and we had these, we cast two Romanian sort of refugees called Joseph and Mary, and we had Mary with a pregnancy suit on, with this lever that she could pull to have her waters break, and then we literally followed them see, filming in the back of blacked out cars to go and see if they could get a room at the inn. Like, so they went to the Sanderson Hotel and all across Soho this one evening that we, me and Mark were sat in the back of this, this car. And every hotel they went into, it was like, you go back to where you came from. There's no room. Literally, somebody said, there's no room for you here. And it was like a proper, like, and it was just at the flash forward 10 years to, you know, what, uh, the forty-eight, fifty-two stuff. And it was sort of terrifying. Um, and I think it was a, the line was a thousand years later and still no room at the inn. It was pretty, it was pretty, uh, pretty bleak, but it was, it, it was, it was a sort of like trigger happy TV. What can we do at this point? But yeah, her waters broke on the steps of the Sanderson, I think. Oh, fun and games. Um, I mean, what's the sort of most important thing you think you learned while I'm under? Wow. Um, the most important thing is probably the importance of the purity of the idea, actually. So it's like the strategy, we, we were so drilled in the way of strategy. If you had logic, then you could sell a puppet monkey or you know people who dig up noodles from underground but i think once you had that there was no compromising ever on on the the purity of it and keeping keeping that idea like front and central to everything you're doing i i'd agree with that completely i, I think the, i think one of the other most important things that Stu and i learned at mother was just the vitality of hiring properly be totally uncompromising with who you hire um I think that it, it's um, the, the, I think part of the reason that so many people in, in our sort of generation of mother are now across the industry sort of running stuff is because everyone was really, really good. Like there, there wasn't anyone shit. 
and and so you know those good people have gone on to do to do great things because they, they were really really talented so um you know mother wasn't a place that that hired badly and, and i think to their credit i think when people did sneak in that that weren't up to scratch you know they 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 dealt with it you know in the right way so i think that that's a that's certainly a thing that for any sort of budding entrepreneurs or anyone who's running places will know is you know you know when you make a bad hire you know you know when you've got it wrong um and 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 the the, the damage that can do if you don't deal with it quickly so i think that that, that was one of the, the huge huge strengths um what do you think's next i mean do you think the is mother now full of leaders of the future do you think so it's, are you still kind of you still try and keep an eye on people there i imagine so you know i i think they do a really good job of of regenerating and you know the work is still great you know kfc and ikea is fantastic they do a very good job of protecting as they always did you know protecting the the the, the names and the the profiles of their creators i think for listeners the mother doesn't put credits on their work um and so you know it's um it's always been the the case since the beginning i i've no doubt that, that mother's continuing to breed brilliant people in there the, the, the culture of the agency is so strong i think it's it, I, what i would say is i think it's probably a very like any business that's been around as long as mother has like it's probably a, com- a very different company you know to what it was when ben and i were there I, I imagine that you know the the skills and the personality types that were required to thrive through the period we were there won't be the same as what they need now. So, wh- wh- so whether whether they're breeding entrepreneurs or they're breeding people that want to go and start stuff, you know that that that, that remains to be seen. But the one thing I know for sure is they'll be breeding people that are ruthlessly ruthlessly good at making great work. Um, and that that's sort of great for their culture perpetuating and as a whole will be great for the industry as we all sort of watch it continue great well that seems like it might be a nice place to stop um obviously if anyone wants to read a bit more both um ben mooj and ben middleton are in the um the feature that was in the autumn mag of campaign and also online at campaignlive.co.uk um you can also have a look through 25 ads um that made mother in another piece which i think you both have working obviously yeah yeah probably mainly ben (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much for your time cheers Maisie. such a pleasure Maisie. Well, that's your lot for this week. A big thank you to Arvind and Maisie. And of course, we'd love to hear what you think of the podcast. So do leave us a review or drop us an email. You can find all of our email addresses at campaignlive.co.uk slash contact. If you're a first time listener, please do subscribe. There's going to be some serious podcast goodness coming up in the months to come. Lots of Christmas ads, no doubt. I'm Simon Gwynn, Campaigns Technology and Gaming Editor. And this episode was produced by Lindsay Riley. I hope you have a wonderful weekend uh, and we'll see you again next week. Until then, do stay safe uh, amid the unrelenting tide of spooky nonsense washing over the land right now.